I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on maternal health disparities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You know, where you give birth, who you give birth to, who you are, what you look like, where you live, all of these are factors in the health of not only the baby that you're having, but also the mother as well. And there are studies out now, there's data out now that shows that women of color in particular have a much tougher time getting the health care that they deserve mainly because of their race. There are also other women in certain situations, whether it's poverty, whether it's a lack of proper healthcare um, operators and professionals there that also do not get the care that they need. But we're really talking about this whole issue because we've heard a lot about it. It's something that's very serious. And especially for mothers, as they're going through that incredible experience, but also very challenging experience of bringing another human life into this world, we wanna understand this, talk about you know, improvements that are being made, what can be done, the evolution of how we look at motherhood in general, and just what can really be done to make sure that the mothers are healthy, our mothers are healthy, and that the children that they're bringing into the world are healthy and have the best chance at a full and amazing life. So joining me for this incredible conversation, which I'm so thrilled that we're doing right now, is Latham Thomas. She is the founder of Mama Glow. We're going to break that all down for you in a moment. Latham, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, we appreciate it. Also with us is Dr. Joynetta Belkelly. She's the Vice President of Strategic Community Partnerships for Northwell Health. Dr. Belkelly, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Also with us is Sasha Senna. Did I say that right, Sasha? Senna or Yes. Okay, okay Senna, Sasha, yes. Senna, Sasha Senna. She's a, a member of the Young Urban Moms Group that was founded by Mary Almonte, who you've seen here on Street Soldiers many times. And she's also part of the podcast group where they're speaking out and really trying to raise awareness about a lot of these issues. She's also the mother of a five-month-old. Congratulations. And also, thank you. <laughs> and also a five-year-old. So she's got that firsthand experience. Sasha, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. We, we really appreciate it. Dr. Bell Kelly, let me start with you on this. In terms of, we hear about maternal health disparities, we hear some very shocking levels of discrimination. What have you actually found out? What actually exists out there that, you know, you could say scientifically, this is what's going on? Well, it's really interesting. You know, this is such a topic um, that's really important to everyone. You know, maternal health is an issue for everyone across the population. But, you know, as we know, uh, it affects Black women disproportionately. So just to kind of level set, so each year in the United States, about 700 people actually died during pregnancy or within the year after. So then another 50,000 women each year experience uh, very severe pregnancy complications, which can cause serious consequences for women's health later on. So uh, every pregnancy-related death is so tragic because two in three of those deaths are preventable. And it's, it's really important to recognize the warning signs and provide timely treatment and quality care, uh, which can prevent that. So, uh, again, maternal death is an issue across the board, but it disproportionately impacts Black women. Um, so the most recent data shows that nationally, when one white woman dies from pregnancy-related death, there will be actually three Black women who will die. And that's across the country. Wow. In New York State, it's worse. So when one white woman dies in New York State, five black women will die. And then in New York City, believe it or not, in this city that we love, when one white woman dies in New York City from birth, uh, from um, uh, related 
issues, there will actually be eight Black women who will die from pregnancy-related deaths. And uh, back in 2017, uh, Black women gave birth to 23% of New York City babies, yet they accounted for 55% of maternal deaths. Oh, that's so horrible. It's terrible. And Black women, you know, continue to have the worst outcomes uh, than others, regardless of their insurance or their socioeconomic status. So it's not just a question of of being in a a low-income community or or a hospital that maybe is under-resourced. It's just across the board. Absolutely. And we've heard the stories. We heard the Serena Williams story. We heard about Beyonce. We hear about, uh, you know, this can affect anyone. It affected me. It can affect LGBTQ plus individuals. Um, It can affect anyone. Um, As a matter of fact, recent data also shows that Black educated women who are earning higher salaries are impacted more than uneducated white women, women of other races who earn significantly less than their counterparts. And it's um, everyone has an experience and it's either direct or indirect. So uh, women of color, especially black women, have experienced just healthcare professionals ignoring them, uh, misdiagnoses. And we're going to get let's get into that. I want to bring it. I want to bring in our other guests. But thank you for giving us it's it's a it's a very disturbing picture. But thank you for bringing that to us. Um, Sasha, you just gave birth not too long ago. What was your your experience like? Um, I would say my experience was somewhat, uh, it was a little complicated because of my pregnancy. I had a little bit of uh, complications arising. Um, With my first, I didn't really experience any of those complications. But with my second, a lot of stuff started to come up with my health, with my son's health. And then when I gave birth, it was all... um, trying to have, um, trying to have a natural birth versus having a C-section. And then it was just, again, a little bit of a complication side, but somewhat smooth at the same time. Do you feel like, do you feel like your, your wishes and your desires and your preferences were respected or did you feel like that, that you were looked at a certain kind of way? Um, I would say it was a little bit of both just because um, again, I'm on the younger side, so doctors tend to look at you a little like, oh, what is she doing? She doesn't really know. And then they don't really take into account what what you do for a living or what you, um, you know, your salary rise. They just look at you and they see me that I'm young, I'm Hispanic. They just think, oh, here's just another young girl. So uh, doctors were more telling me what to do as a, were asking me what I'm comfortable with on that end. And then that's part of that whole birth, whole birth experience. Latham, you founded Mama Glow, and a lot of this is around just really changing the whole narrative about the motherhood experience, giving birth, and giving support to women. Tell, tell us a little bit about what, what you do with Mama Glow. Well, Mama Glow is a global maternal health and education platform. So primarily we're training doulas to serve alongside um, birthing individuals and families to navigate this experience. And so um, doulas are non-clinical care providers. So they offer emotional support, physical support, education, advocacy tools, and then partner support if there's a partner present to ensure that they can participate at their level of comfort in the process. And it's really helping people to... um, you know, have that extra, just like that extra handholding to navigate an experience that for many people, it's the first time. And for others, even if it's, 
you know, even if you have more than one child, everybody will say that each birth is different, each pregnancy is different, and right. also your needs are different. And so um, having someone who understands how to navigate that terrain and can help you with um, very specific information that supports you and your needs is critical. And when we think about this crisis that we're in, you know, for Black and brown birthing people to have access to doula support, to have providers who are from their own communities who understand what they're facing and who can interface with their providers and their care team is critically important. We see that, that when I'm sorry, do you feel that do you feel like that that helps neutralize these disparities or at least reduce the possibility of them being there or that I they're treated better or the women are Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say neutralize it so much that I would say that, like, you know, we do have data that shows the impact on, on birth and the experience of, of having doulas present is positive. We do know that there's a reduction in the medications that might be administered. There's a reduction in C-section. There's a higher uh, rate in, in vaginal deliveries. But the, the biggest piece that we see is um, increased maternal satisfaction and a decrease in a sense of um, in 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 poor birth experience, right? And how somebody perceives their birth experience and which leads also to uh, incidences of trauma. A lot of people have birth outcomes that are not desirable, but aren't traumatized as a result, right? right? And so having the right care team in place, even if you didn't have the exact birth you desired, but you had people around you who were respected you, who treated you well, you had safe and dignified and affordable care, and you were with the safety net of people who really supported you through that process, many people will feel empowered on the other side of that experience, right? Okay. And so that's why doulas are really important. But the other piece is that doulas have to work within a care team, right? And so it's and not like the me, doula... Let me just jump in right here and um, not to cut you off, which I just did, but we, we need to take a short break. Let's, let's talk about this care team and we'll talk about how it is now, you know, is it evolving? Is it changing? Are there improvements being made? Um, we'll continue with this discussion about maternal health disparities with our amazing panel. I'm Lisa Evers, your host. We'll be right back. Yo, what up? This your homie Ace Hood, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers on maternal health disparities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Joining us for this conversation is Latham Thomas. She's the founder of Mama Glow. She's also a mother herself. Latham, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Also joining us is Dr. Joynetta Bell-Kelly. She's the Vice President of Strategic Community Partnerships for Northwell Health. Dr. Joynetta Bell-Kelly, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Also with us is Sasha Senna. She's a member of the Young Urban Moms Group and Podcast. She's also a mother of two, a five-year-old and a five-month-old. Sasha, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. We, we appreciate it. Um, Latham, in terms of the in, in, in terms of giving the support to, to the women, how critical is that? I think that what we're seeing now in the United States, um, you know, there's a narrative that we understand now that this is the most dangerous place in the developed world to give birth. If you think about other countries that have, you know, an imperative to reduce maternal mortality, morbidity, um, the United States is well poised to do that. But what we've seen in instances of like COVID-19, our healthcare systems have been fraught and overextended. And, um, and also care providers are individuals, they're people, right? And so we need to ensure that the patient advocacy safety net um, centers birthing people, but also that the support people who are on the team from the doctors to the nurses to 
the the doulas all work together because we all have a, a a similar outcome, which is like a safe and healthy birth. So they need that care to be uh, continuous. They need that care to be um, respectful. They need that care to be dignified. But it has to be an imperative across you know across the board. And it has to be a systemic shift that is made to ensure that people can get quality care like that. Oh, absolutely, Dr. Bell Kelly. In terms of what we spoke before the show, you were telling us telling me that. You, you yourself have experienced, um, I, don't, I don't know how we want to characterize them, but some people would just say play, straight up racist incidents, um, assumptions, false assumptions based on your skin color, regardless of your education, your knowledge, your desires, whatever. Um, tell, tell us about that. Help, help us understand this. You know, yeah, it, it, like I said, it happened to me too. Um, during my birth, so I gave birth a lot later in life. I was 40 uh, when I had my first and 42 with my youngest. And uh, it was the it was a lot of bias and a lot of assumptions being made about my lifestyle. Um, I was actually told by a physician that I should stop eating fried foods uh, when, in fact, I don't eat that much fried food. They just assumed that because I'm Black and because I had eclampsia, they wanted to give me my marching orders to, okay, go home and stop eating all those fried foods and you should get some exercise in when I've been um, a, a marathon runner <laughs> just about uh, before I even had children. So just those little comments that were always made um, to try to direct me into a healthier lifestyle when they never even asked what it was that I did. And then the assumption that um, when I had eclampsia following my birth, I got um, readmitted into the hospital and it was just assumed that I'd already had high blood pressure all my life. And I was told to just, oh, just have her go ahead and start taking her medicine again. And, you know, I never had been on medicine. So it was just those um, those really blatant um, um, scenarios that made me see firsthand that, you know, it really is something that existed and that exists and now. Stereo- and, and these, these false stereotypes exactly. based on race, basically. Exactly. Sasha, Sasha, what about you? You talked about, yes, because you're, you're a young Hispanic woman that there were certain, here's another, here's another young woman coming in giving birth. And then did, did you feel like, were there certain things that you did to try to have the baby your have the baby the way you wanted to, or were there certain tell tell us about that because that was the second time around for you. Were there things you learned, or tell us about that? So with my uh, first child, I had a C section. Um, I was fairly young. Uh, my first child, I had him. I was seventeen. Um, I'm twenty three now, and I had my second, who's five months old. Um, the first time around, I had a C section because of my son really just didn't want to come out. So there was uh, no really other alternative for him. We've tried all the medication. We did everything. And with my first, it was just like that. But with my second, I wanted to try a more um, natural appro- uh, approach to having him. And there was just a lot of um, back and forth between it. A lot of pe- a lot of doctors. I had uh, three doctors with my second because again of my health complications, um, my son, I was, he was um, a lot advanced. He was more advanced. He was showing that he was a lot bigger than what he was um, while I was carrying him. So there was a lot of um, concern about that. Concerns, yes. There was a lot of concerns about his aging and his uh, weight and his height. So they weren't. A few doctors were saying, yes, you could have a natural delivery, whereas if another doctor was like, oh, you're young, 
you know, you could just have um, another C-section and recover. But it didn't, wasn't really brought to the attention of um, C-section is a hard recovery, especially when you already have a child, another child at home. Another little kid you have to take, yes, take care of. exactly. And then, you know, I'm married, I have a house, you know, like um, it was a lot of things that weren't being brought up. It was just, oh, she's young, she could recover. Um, she already had one let's just do it again. They weren't really letting me decide on whether I wanted to have a natural delivery or if a C-section was just the route that I was going to go to. Um, Latham, in terms of, in terms of a doula, can you help explain that for us? Is it the same thing as a midwife or explain, explain that to us? Yeah. So I think this is one of the things that is most pervasive in terms of like mythology or misunderstanding in our culture is that doulas and midwives are often conflated and uh, doulas and midwives, while they are in a lot of the same spaces together and share a similar framework in, in, in terms of how they see the model of care, um, they serve two different purposes and um, midwives are clinicians. And so a midwife could deliver your baby or a doctor could deliver your baby. Um, midwives will deliver inside of hospitals in birth centers or at home. Um, and they're not surgeons, right? And so um, obstetricians are skilled surgeons. They can deliver babies vaginally, but also in emergency situations for, um, you know, surgically. And um, doulas are non-clinical care providers. So they work as a liaison with doctors or with midwives um, to support the larger birth team. And so what happens um, because of this misunderstanding of what the role of the doula and the midwife is, is that um, health funding gets, this influences health funding, it influences policy, it influences, you know, um, insurance and care provision, and it also confuses the larger public. And so a lot of people don't necessarily seek the support of a doula or a midwife because they don't know the difference, right? And so this is really important for us to elucidate for the public so that when people do go for their care, they know that there is a non-clinical care provider who can provide that emotional support necessary that they don't have to depend their, on their doctor for because they cannot provide that care, right? right. And somebody with and, so, and somebody with real experience, with, with with real with real life experience in terms of delivering bringing babies into the world. Yeah, you need a doctor, you need a physician, or you need a midwife, and and the type of birth that you want is gonna or, or that you decide on is really up to you, right? Like, what setting do I want to be in? What type of provider do I want to have? Um, that's critical to decide and, and to feel comfortable with, right? To feel comfortable so, so like, and safety with your provider. So let me ask you this. So, so in Sasha's situation where she's, she's telling them, listen, I want to, I want to really give it my, you know, my best, uh, let's try our best so I can have a, a natural, a natural delivery instead of yep. section. What could a doula have done for her in that situation? Yes. So a doula would be really great in that situation to provide evidence-based information to share the uh, pros for doing a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean, as well as the risks. And similarly, what the risk would be for um, a follow-up cesarean um, and the benefits for that, right? Not to make the decision for her, but to share that there is a viable pathway. I have had many clients who had cesareans prior and were told that the, they were just were scheduled for a cesarean. And so then uh, when I said to them, well, was there a medical reason for it? 
Um, we don't know. They were just told. I was like, well, why don't you ask? And their doctor said, once they had conversations with their doctor, they were like, we really want to have vaginal unless there's a medical reason to not. And they're like, yeah, you're a candidate for it. And it, it, they just let, and they had them. And all it's of my like, clients yeah, have like had anything them. else. You have to, you have to have, have, that, to ask. have that advocacy. Dr. Bell Kelly, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just about to ask if I could add this. Um, you know, a lot of people think that you have to choose one or the other. Either you're going to go with your OBGYN and the hospital network, or you'll have a doula. I've been on so many panels where it's almost like a cat fight with, you know, oh, no, doulas win. Doulas should do it. And, and the other side is uh, all about providers within a healthcare setting. The perfect marriage is when a health system can make um, respectful maternal care, make doulas and midwives welcome in yep. their institutions so that the patient can feel comfortable so that there is that level of respect, the level of having, so the patient can actually have an advocate right there with them by their side. And so that if there is a complication, there is a surgeon, there is an emergency room um, or surgery that um, the patient could possibly have. You know, life-threatening goes wrong. Right. Exactly. Um, so, so that's what we're working on at Northwell is creating a system where uh, developing our respectful maternal care so that doulas and midwives feel comfortable, so that patients know that, okay, here is your village. You can bring your village here, but we're just here in case something goes wrong. Right. But um, yes, yes, it's very important. No, that's wonderful. We're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. We're talking about maternal health disparities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about maternal health disparities with an amazing panel. Joining me is Latham Thomas. She is the founder of Mama Glow and the mother of a teenage son. Uh, Latham, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Also with us is Dr. Joynetta Bell-Kelly. She is the Vice President for Strategic Community Partnerships at Northwell Health and the mother of a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Dr. Bell-Kelly, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Also with us is Sasha Senna. She is a member of the Young Urban Moms Group and podcast. She's also the mother of a five-year-old and a five-month-old newborn. Sasha, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. We, we really appreciate it. Latham, the, we had the, the Deputy Commissioner for Equity from the Health Health Department on the show uh, talking about this whole issue of, of racial health disparities over, overall. He said there's fewer Black doctors now in 2022 than there were in the 1970s. I found that, found that incredible. Does that make it even more important for the, the type of work that, that you're trying to encourage? Well, I think that I think it's really interesting that the focus is on um, on doctors. We do need more doctors, but we need specifically uh, more doctors of color um, and more female, more LGBTQ plus. But outside of that, I think to um, something that Dr. Bell Kelly said earlier, which is if we're envisioning a future where the healthcare team is integrated then that should also include midwives. And so when we think about that care team and me being able to select, I delivered with midwives um, for my son's birth. And I had the option to do that because I delivered at a birth center that no longer exists in New York City called Elizabeth Seaton. It was the only freestanding birth center in New York. Now, I should be able to also say, okay, I wanna go to a hospital and I wanna deliver with midwives. 
And if there is a complication that should um, that should necessitate um, a physician or any other person from the care team to come in, I'm in a place that can provide that and without judgment and, you know, and safely get me and my baby across the finish line. Right. So what, I, what what's important right now and what we've seen is consumers have said also, especially in COVID, people were like, oh, the hospital system, the way it's set up and the way I want to be able to birth, I can't do it. I want to deliver at home or I want to deliver in a birth center. We didn't have the ability to meet those needs of those people because we didn't have midwives. And so we have to invest in midwifery as well. And so we need um, access to uh, freestanding birth centers. We need to have midwives integrated into hospital systems. And, and doulas obviously is part of that care team as well. But if we if we really think about also the, the way that this country has also built systems against midwifery support and propaganda, that's also why people don't know the difference between doulas and midwives, right? Because again, we built systems against that. So part of what we also need to invest in, and if we think about the numbers, there's about 37,000 midwives or 37,000 OBGYNs um, in the country, right? Um, there are 14,000 midwives, so that's like really, that's a huge difference. If you think of developed countries, there's a higher uh, midwifery to obstetrician ratio. In the US, we have a higher obstetrician to midwifery ratio, but we also have poor birth outcomes in comparison to other countries, right? You know, countries, right. Yeah, so, so we need to like bump up that midwifery ratio and ensure that those midwives are also, you know, identifying as people of color. We have 6% of that entire group, 6% are people of color and less than 2% are black. And so we think back to, you know, back to um, Dr. Bell Kelly's point about, you know, like since enslavement, we've seen we have a direct line to disparity. We can connect all of this to, to where we are today. And so the divestment in midwifery, which was something that like our people brought over to these shores when they arrived here to deliver us and to deliver all the babies, there were midwives, there were black grand midwives who delivered like full counties of babies, right? In the South. And we're wow. doing this work, right? Ancestrally. There and for no that, there. There were those, right. right. And they were trusted, right? And so, and for that knowledge to be taken and then brought into institutions and then for them to be criminalized and for this work to be and then for it to be credentialized in a way that would put them outside of the ability to practice. Well, let me let me stop you right there so we understand too. It's it's and these are very important points you're making. But in ter in terms of credentials, what mm -hmm. kinds of credentials, Dr. Bell Kelly, for for a midwife to go, is it possible for a midwife to go into a hospital in New York State? Do, does she have to have a certain or he have to have a certain credential? You know, that's a great question. That might be a question for Latham. Um, I do know that. Um, in order to have privileges at a hospital, there has to be a lot of uh, a lot of red tape to cross. Um, but I'm not 100% sure about. Let me ask. Let me ask. Latham, in terms of the, is there is there a, a recognized certification process for for doulas and for midwives that? Yes. So, so midwives are licensed and they go there. There's different types of midwives. So there's certified nurse midwives. They usually work inside the hospital setting. There's traditional midwives. There's um, licensed midwives. So there's a bunch of different ones. That's also part of the confusion, right? Because there's such different standards for training and certification and what that allows you to, how that allows you to practice. But um, yeah, you know, Dr. Um, Bell Kelly is right that 
you know, certain people have to have privileges. You can't just roll up and be like, hey, I want to treat like, my client like, here. I'm, I'm doing this. I got this. No, <laughs> no, it is definitely, there. There is a there is a credentialing pathway, but there's also, um, there there's a systemic entry, right, that you have to go through and processing right. to, to be able to, and you're also under the insurance or under the sort of almost like sponsorship of a particular doctor, physician, or, or physician's group as a midwife. So you work in partnership with them, which is ideal, honestly. Right. So somebody that's Those in the corner yeah. at, a, at, this, at this critical time. Real quick, Dr. Belkel, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, I was about to say, Sasha, it, uh, you mentioned before, because you were so young, I to tell you one thing, when I was 40 and having my first baby, they told me I had to have a C-section and I didn't know to ask the questions. I just went along with, okay, you're the doctor. You tell me what to do. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Right. No. So, you know, it, it doesn't come with, with youth. It comes with uh, the system and the way it's set up. And unfortunately, you know, when a person is of a certain age, um, unfortunately, a lot of uh, things behind the scenes, internal um, uh, revenue structures and things cause um, cause systems to want to go into the direction of a C-section versus giving a patient the opportunity to decide. So it is uh, it is a big problem. And and one thing that I do appreciate about uh, the nurses, you know, you can't give enough credit to nurses because nurses Definitely. are wear their superwoman and superman capes every day. Nurses, I believe the two nurses that intervened during my issues with uh, with my births uh, probably saved my life. I probably wouldn't even be here to talk to you all about oh this if they didn't step in. So it's just like, you know, and I know that um, some nurses are also midwives and doulas. So I think that whenever we start to bridge programs, programming within medical schools as well, PA schools, nursing schools, you know, um, have some type of bridge where, you know, there can be a cross training so that, again, uh, like Latham was saying before, there's a trusted voice, a trusted face, a trusted person right there in the room with you who can help give you the information so that you can make the best decision for you, your body, and your family. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to ask our panel what recommendations do they have and what advice do they have if you're watching now and you are pregnant or you're hoping to get pregnant or planning to get pregnant. We'll find out about that when we come back. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You dig? Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers on maternal health disparities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Joining me for this conversation, Latham Thomas. She's the founder of Mama Glow. Latham, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Also with us is Dr. Joynetta Bell-Kelly. She's the Vice President for Strategic Community Partnerships at Northwell Health. Uh, Dr. Bell-Kelly, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Also with us is Sasha Senna. She is a mother of two and also a member of the Young Urban Moms Group and Podcast founded by Mary Elmonte. Uh, Sasha, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Latham, what advice do you, what advice do you have for women and to, who are, are hoping to become mothers or who so, are pregnant right now, who are maybe, you know, or maybe they're even dealing with, you know, some recommendations that were given to them by their doctor. And they're like, wait, that's not exactly what I want, what I want to have happen. What advice do you have for them? 
Yeah. So I think one really cool thing that we can um, all take away and something that you can bring into every aspect of your life, um, we use this acronym called BRAIN. And it's a way for us to, and I'm going to break it down, but it's a way for us to sort of process information that comes in so that we can make um, decisions on consent, right? Whether we're going to consent to something or revoke consent, but for us to make an informed choice about something, we have to understand what's being presented to us. And so asking questions is really critical. And oftentimes inside of medical spaces, we're not receiving, like nobody's asking us before they begin a procedure or treatment. They're just kind of like going through the motions and maybe talking to us as it's happening, or maybe they explain it afterwards, but it's really important to get that consent before. And so one of the questions I ask patients um, and clients to think about first is before anything happens to ask, what is the medical indication for this, right? Is there a medical reason that we're doing this, right? That's the first question. If the answer is no, then guess what? Like maybe we don't have to start this right now, or maybe we can move in a different direction, or maybe we can just like keep things as they are. And then I use the acronym BRAIN, which stands for what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What does my intuition tell me? And what if we did nothing, right? And so when that. anything comes, right, when you use that acronym and run, your, run the ideas through that and then check in also to your gut. Like, what is your gut telling you right. about this? A lot of women will say, and you hear a lot of black women and a lot of women of color will say, something didn't feel right. Or, and people will say to, to their loved ones who passed on, like they mentioned something, they didn't feel right. And then they're not here to tell their story. Mm -hmm. And so it's so critical to listen to that um, and to, to, to act on what your gut is also telling you as information, because it's important information too. So the second too. piece I would say okay, is we not start necessarily... We're almost, out of time. we're almost out of time here. So okay. very quickly, very quickly. The second thing I would say is we need more doulas. So if you are interested in exploring doula training at Mama Glow, we have a global doula training program. It takes place online and we would love more people to enter into this work. All right, great, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. Dr. Joynette about Kelly, what advice do you have? Uh, what, what advice do you have for women, especially as they navigate their desires within uh, various healthcare systems? Yes, exactly. One of the most important parts is uh, looking at the antepartum, which is before you get pregnant. Make sure you're, you're taking care of your body before you decide whether or not you want to get pregnant. You know, most doctors tell you start taking the folic acid, but do things like get your mental health screenings, too, because, you know, mental health is a real big issue when it comes to postpartum. Um, you want to make sure you're preparing yourself, preparing your family, preparing your uh, getting your finances together, whatever you need to do to prepare yourself so that you can have the best outcome as possible. And to, to piggyback on something that Latham said, um, regarding uh, providers, ask questions. Ask a thousand questions if you have to. Don't accept a, a physician or someone trying to hurry and scurry you out of the room or trying to get to the next patient. Ask as many questions as you need to ask because it's your body that is going to be impacted by this condition. Again, pregnancy is a condition. It's not a status, it's a condition. Um, and then the other part of it is finding your village. Look at your partner. Um, if you don't have a partner, look at your family, look at your mom, your sister, look at community-based organizations, fraternities and sororities are doing a lot of work with uh, black maternal health and helping to inform education. Also faith groups, um, ask questions with women's health ministries around in, in, certain, um, in certain faith organizations, but um, create a, a space where you can have a voice and you're educated so that you can make the best decision for yourself. And, and again, ask, ask, ask questions. No, ab absolutely, absolutely. Sasha, just uh, fi final advice for other women. 
Um, I would definitely say, again, ask questions and let your concerns be known or let your wants be known. Um, it's definitely something that I've learned now, um, having my second child, if I were to have another baby, which is up for debate. But <laughs> um, I would definitely let the doctors know how I'm feeling and um, what I um, let my birth plan be know, uh, known and definitely get um, the education and talk to other people, ask questions and definitely um, just ask questions <laughs> because hey. that seems to be a big one. Honestly, just um, a lot of women would either just listen to their doctors really. And it's just like, you could listen to your doctor, but also don't be afraid to be heard. Yeah. So. Especially at that time. Cause I think if you're like, if you're in pain or you're, you know, you're, yes. you're contractions, you're, all this stuff is going on and you're like, you know, sometimes you may not feel like, okay, I, I really got to fight for myself now too, you know, right. all that. So, so some, some great advice and some great points. I want to thank all of you for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers, Lathan Thomas, Dr. Joynetta Bell Kelly, and Sasha Senna. Thank you all for being with us. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.